Falcons Audible is back, presented by AT&T. We got the guys back in the house. We got the smiles on the face, although we don't always just have the smiles on the face when there's a win because we what they call professionals. (laughs) So we bring the information, whether it's win or loss, but it was a win. 24-15 victory, Falcons over the Saints. I'm Derek Rackley. That's DJ Shockley, Dave Archer. We're going to get going on the Falcons Audible. Here's what we're going to discuss. Before we dive into the game, we're going to talk about the 50 years of hip-hop that went down at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in all of its fabulousness from pregame to in the game to halftime to second half to you name it, it was all over. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're going to talk about the fellas' favorite moments from that. We will talk about some of the highlights from the game. A little bit of Q&A. Little bit. <laughs> Just a test. Don't want to open the door too much. Little bit of QA. Collins, got Collins. And then I've got uh the guys are gonna tell us how we remain in control of the NFC South because as we know, Falcons are back on top of the division after the victory over the Saints and Buccaneers stumbling last Sunday. So guys, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh before we get into the matchup, I want to ask you guys about the 50 years of hip hop. Let's sure. talk about some of the festivities that went down during the game. And let's just go into it. We'll say DJ, your favorite moment, maybe it was a performer, maybe it was a performance, maybe it was something else from the game. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be I'm gonna keep it all the way your book. I'm a guy from the city, so I loved it all. Seeing all those different uh, I would say dignitaries of the city in one place is pretty cool. I mean, obviously, seeing my man Luda come from the ceiling, I'm waiting for Arch to do that because obviously <laughs> he has to be next to do that. <laughs> and obviously Luda in the, in the halftime show, my man Big Boy, T.I. coming out. I mean, Dude, Bone pick, Crusher. Pick, pick one. I can't. I just told one. you. I told you I like them all. Okay. He he so I talk all. about them all. He, like, he likes okay. them all. Arch, they did, right before the game, they did announce every single one of Stun. them. And it took forever Stun. because there were so many of them in the house. So like, like Arch, he don't like that. I didn't, rem- like well, I didn't remember there were that many young, young <laughs> – I had no idea. Young Jeezy's? Well, there were young. Everybody's a young. Everybody's a little. They're all young. They've been around for a long time, but they're still young. Forever young. That's what what hip-hop music does for you. Um, My favorite, obviously, Luda was, uh, you you pick Luda, so I won't do that. And I didn't think they were ever going to get him down. He was hung up. He was hung up about 60 feet above the, and they're getting ready to try to play, and Luda's still up there getting it. My guy, Pastor Troy, broke PT it Cruz. down. He yeah. got it done. Oh, that PT was cool. Cruz. I was uh, Wes was asking me a question, and I think it was Pastor Troy. Was he third quarter? Was it like the change of third quarter? Yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, he's he's blowing it up big about the second level up there, and I'm kind of looking out the window trying to see him. I've, I've met him, good dude, and I'm, I'm I'm listening to him. Crowds into it. Wes is asking me a question about what we're going to do <laughs> for the fourth quarter. I go. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Pastor Troy was <laughs> clearly not so, paying attention. No, yeah, I was not paying attention. So, yeah, it, I was uh, I was hung up on it too. So, yeah, yeah. I think Shock yeah. and I enjoyed uh, being fans there. Yeah, I mean, there was a number of great moments in that one. I'll give Bone Crusher a little bit of a shout out too. He he was hype, man. He was getting after it. Serious up there. face and all. Uh, finished his uh, his performance with a little holding up the Grady Jarrett jersey, showing him some love. But guys, I- I'm gonna go with the low hanging fruit. Ludacris, like I didn't know about him coming down from the ceiling. Yeah. It's so, like, all of a sudden you see that, you know, special performance by Ludacris. And so I'm like every other fan. I'm kind of looking around. And then I, I see the Halo board, and I'm like, Whoa, wait. Where he at? He, he up there. <laughs> and then they drop the banners. And then all of a sudden Luda comes down. Because they've, you know, they've dropped Freddie from the the, the, the rafters, rafters before. 
And I always look at it and I'm like, there ain't no way. Yeah. But like Luda looked so cool. Yeah. Like he was like, it didn't look nervous at all. I mean, at some, one time he had his hand on it with the microphone. Another time he didn't even have, I mean, he was just out there chilling. Like that must have been no fear from him. It, it, it's, I equate it to, I remember the one time I did a zipline. And I'm holding on to that thing like this <laughs> as I'm going down. And Luda just bouncing around. I said, this man brave right. as I don't get out. Yeah. I c- couldn't be me. It was phenomenal. He's fast and furious, man. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, Serious. I don't know um, movies. But to your guys' point, would you like, ever do that? Would you ever do that? <laughs> <laughs> no. We got all of like our call, um, call like the Call like the first quarter from up there or something like that. That'd just dangling above the above yeah. the field. You got a great view. You see everything. Yeah, no, no there question. Are, there are listeners and viewers that are saying, "Didn't you guys play in the NFL? Like, <laughs> one of the most risky <laughs> professions there is." Yeah, nah. uh, yes, we got our riskiness yeah. out uh, between the white lines. I can control a lot. Of that. Uh, but anyway, there was so many great performances, so many great um, um, entertainers, celebrities in the house that it was uh, a very cool experience from start to finish. Uh, so great job by everybody involved in Atlanta Falcons organization for making that happen. All right, let's go ahead and get into the matchup. Uh, as we mentioned, a nine-point victory by Atlanta. There's a number of, of turning points in this game. DJ, obviously, uh, Jesse Bates had another interception. This one takes all the way back to the house. First one of the season. Um, ends up, I, I don't, it was during the game, he ended up being tied for third in the NFL. I don't know if anybody else had any interceptions throughout the rest of the day that ended up changing that. Um, coming into this one, I was looking at it as, you know, got to keep our eyes on Paulson Adebo. He had four picks coming into this game, and then all of a sudden it was Jesse Bates that ends up um, kind of stealing the show, playing center field there, reading the quarterback's eyes, cuts underneath it, makes a great play. Whether it was that or it was another moment, what were some of the turning points in the game, in your opinion, or some of the performances that stuck out that allowed Atlanta to come away with this victory? Uh, I, I think, obviously, on the offensive side of the ball, um, I look at the way Bijan run. I thought the, the way the offensive line created some holes for yeah. him. But I think the one thing that stuck out to me was we saw number 84 be violent with the yes. football in his hand. I yeah. thought CP's – just energy, his his ability to be able to run through people and get the crowd into it. I thought he was a guy that brought a lot of juice to the offense with the way he played. And I love the, the way that they used the three backs throughout the ballgame. Yeah, yeah. And you look at the numbers and, you know, Algier rushed for over six yards of carry. And you look up, CP had a, you know, five, six carries. You, 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 you got seven to ball a bunch of different times in a bunch of different ways. I just love the way Arthur Smith attacked him uh, on the offensive side of the ball. There was so multiple in the way you did it. There were so many great concepts in the pass game that allowed you to be great. I mean, the, the touchdown to, to, to Bijan on, on, on the rail or wheel route, whatever you want to call it, uh, was a masterful way of drawing it up. You get the motion. You know you get man coverage. Uh, you do a good job of getting him isolated on Demario Davis, and Ritter does such a great job of holding his head in the middle of that field to keep Tyron Matthew there, so that he got a little pressure. He gives a little ground and just drops an absolute dime to to Bajan. This was, I thought, a wonderful and masterful game. I thought on offensive side by Arthur Smith, some of the things that they did to 
kind of give them an advantage to be able to move the football. Well, you mentioned that uh, the passing play to Bijan. I mean, Pete Werner ends up coming basically unblocked. I think somebody at the last second arch tried to end up chipping him, but he had to kind of buy some time in order to let Bijan get down the field, but he knew he had Demario Davis, and if you got Bijan against Demario Davis nine times out of ten, you're going to go ahead and take that matchup. For but sure. it was a good throw by him. I mean, if he undershoots him, maybe Davis has a chance to come back and make that play. Um, on the running play, too, where he scored, Arch, to me it looked like there was a great combination block by your right guard, right tackle, expanding the hole. But Bergeron comes around on the back, and he ends up getting a seal block to hold the backside defender to allow him to get through the hole to get back up to speed. So you talked about the offensive line. There were some moments where they really performed well. There was one other instance that comes to mind when you talk about the, the combo blocks and double teams. There was like a 17-yard run by Bijan in the outside zone. Uh, Lindstrom has maybe a, a, a three or four eye on the outside. He has to get his get his butt to the sideline, and he hooks him. You got Parker Hesse, you got Michael Pruitt. They do such job of double teaming. Hesse gets up on the second level. Pruitt gets up on the second level on the on the backer, and it creates a nice run lane, and he picks up 17 yards. Bijan ends up tripping going down, but he picked up 17 yards, but nobody touched him going through that line. Just an awesome job of the combination blocks at times with the O-line. Arch, there uh, obviously was a lot of discussion around Desmond Ritter coming back into the lineup as the starter. Again, wasn't a perfect game, threw a couple picks in this one. I know last week one of the things they talked about with Desmond Ritter and Arthur Smith said that he's a guy that's always looking forward. He doesn't dwell on what happened previously, and I think you could make that same argument from this game. Like It'd be easy for a guy to all of a sudden fall into a hole after you throw a pick. And then you end up throwing another pick. Matthew makes a couple of great plays, but he didn't. He continued to stay the course, and he made some really good throws in this game. So not only some of the guys that he talked about, but Desmond Ritter and the defense really stood out in this game as well. Well, there's no question the defense stood out. You forced six field goal opportunities. I mean, how many times <laughs> do you see that? A team right. moved the ball, and they moved the ball from 30 to 30. But once they got to the 30-yard line, Atlanta built a wall, and they and they had to try to convert. And it was because of pressure, and it was pressure from the secondary. It was pressure from linebackers. There's pressure from the front four, so they got it from all three levels in the different things Ryan Nielsen was designing to get after Derek Carr. It unsettled him in key moments of the game that forced them to go kick field goals. Desmond Ritter's ability to extend plays in this mm. game was monstrous. He yes, ran for three call. first downs in the game. Good he call. also had a play where I don't know how he got didn't get sacked. He spins out of a sack, skates to his left, and finds Van Jefferson along the sideline for a completion that extended a drive. So his ability in the off-schedule stuff to be able to keep things alive, I mean, there were two or three times where he just hemmed in because of his strength, was able to push through some guys and then take off and run for first downs. I even asked him after the game, I said, you know, that, that might be something you need to continue <laughs> to maybe look to do. Right, yeah, Not right. necessarily you want to throw the ball, you stay within the confines of the offense, but if things open up, don't feel like you got to shoot it down. Go take that 15 yards sure. because he can go get it get it pretty quickly. I thought the two plays for me um, that were key, the Jesse Bates interception you mentioned, I've seen maybe one or two other safeties make that play. He's in center field when the ball snapped. Dead center field. He's yep. the middle safety. And he said, watching tape, that Derek Carr will jump and lock on to the slant route. He said it was a gamble. 
He said, but I was willing to squeeze the trigger. I was going to take the gamble. And so he jumped the route because if you look behind him, there's a guy running a seam from mm -hmm. behind him that's a walk-in touchdown. Backs out, yeah. But because Bates read the quarterback's eyes and jumps it, the only other receiver I've, uh, safety I've ever seen come from center field to make an interception on the numbers or outside the numbers is Troy Polamalu. Yeah. That's the kind of play it was. And then the turnover down the red. So the Saints had not turned the football over in the red zone all year. Two red zone turnovers yep. were monster plays. Yep. He gets the punch out. Richie Grant gets the tackle on Taysom Hill, and, and, and Jesse comes in and punches it out. Ten tackles. Interception for a touchdown, forced fumble for Jesse Bates. And not only that, guys, I mean, if I saw the replay correct, it looked like Jesse Bates came in with a legit right yeah, hook yeah. on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was uh, like it, he had – he was – his fist was no zoned doubt. in on the football. No this was not one of those where he came in and just tried to reach or rake. He literally came in there and threw a right hook and got his fist right on the football to knock it loose. So, Arch, you talk about the little things, the, the, his instincts, right? Knowing to go for a football in that situation, taking the chance, undercutting the slot, uh, the slant. Because if that would have been a slant and go or something, again, would have been burned. But that's tape study. It's, it's knowing what he wants to do. And then, as you mentioned, is reading the quarterback's eyes. When I watched the replay the first time, I said, he is all over Derek Carr's eyes in this situation. And he yeah. goes right underneath him, and he ends up taking the football away. So another great game by Jesse Bates and continuing to prove his worth in the secondary. One thing I wanted to ask you guys about, and I might have missed it here, but I saw a lot more DeMarco Hellams Absolutely. in the secondary in this game as well. And I think Arthur Smith was asked about it, said talking about trying to bring in some guys to keep them fresh. But this was a guy, if we go all the way back to preseason, he made the team because he was making plays on special teams. And they knew what he could do on defense. But they said when he came out of Alabama, he always knew how to find the football. And now you're starting to see the progression of him being in regular downs defensively. And he got in a number of tackles in that game. Well, remember, he had two interceptions in the preseason on defense, yeah. not just special teams play, but his prowess on defense, playing defense. So he knew he had a knack for the football. He had seven tackles in the game. He knocked one of the receivers completely out. In fact, he stood over him and he got a 15-yard penalty for knocking him out. <laughs> but uh, he, is, he is a physical presence that he brings to the table. And in talking to Arthur for his radio show this week, he says there, there's, a, there's a combination of understanding the game and willing to squeeze the trigger on what you're thinking. That's kind of Jesse Bates, right? He mm -hmm. says DeMarco Helms has one of those same kind of DNA in him. I, I think it gives them so much more versatility on the back end because you can see there were times where you had all three safeties in there one time, Richie Grant in the slot, or you have the Alford, whoever it may be, and you could play all those different combinations and feel good about it. And it only helps you down the stretch to have that many guys or multiple guys who know what they're doing on that back end and who you trust. I thought there was another another point in the game, and one of my keys of the game was don't let Taysom Hill affect the game. Now, he still made a couple plays. He made a catch along the sideline. He had one run that was an explosive in the game. But they were really physical with Taysom Hill. I mean, Trey Flowers blows him up on the sideline, on their mm -hmm. sideline on one play. He came through another time, and, and somebody else rocked his world when he tried to run the football. There was a concerted effort when he came in you kind of have an idea what's going to happen. It's going to be that that quarterback sweep or quarterback uh, draw or whatever it is. Every now and then he'll throw it, but they punished him yeah. in the game when he touched the football. That's I think that's the only thing you can you can go for. And I thought they did a good job handling that package. Uh, it's interesting, Arch, because in the pregame show, my keys to the game as well was I had a threesome. It was Camara, 
It was Taysom Hill, and it was Chris Olave. And Olave mm-hmm. ended up having a good game. I think he's one of the budding superstar wide receivers yeah. in this game. But the fact that they didn't allow Taysom Hill or Alvin Kamara to take over the game, they're going to find their yards. They're really mm-hmm. good players, right? That's the reason why they've been on that team, and they continue to be on that team. But they didn't allow them to, to change the game, right, to put the ball into the end zone. And as you mentioned, it was a bend-not-break uh, defense for Atlanta this past Sunday and a very good performance from them. Guys, there's been discussions – about and there's been discussion there's questions asked to Arthur Smith at his press conferences about Desmond Ritter the turnovers interceptions reading the defense better so no one better to answer this question than two quarterbacks and and I know a lot of it is experience it's seeing more stuff on tape but for a guy like Desmond Ritter DJ what is it going to take for him to limit the amount of turnovers moving forward to put us in the best chance offensively to win football games I think there's so many things that goes into that because a lot of it looks like it can be on the quarterback. And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. There's a lot of things that go on in a ball game that maybe a guy didn't run his route correctly or uh, they see it differently than you do and it ends up being an interception or being a, a, a something that, that doesn't bow well for an offense or for the quarterback. So there, there are a lot of things that go into it. I don't think everything is entirely on him. But I give people a couple examples of how – Desmond Ritter absolutely does see the field as well as anybody. And there are a couple of instances where, yeah, he wants a couple footballs back. He wants a couple of throws back. But there was a 15-yard curl route that he hit uh, that he hit uh, Drake London on. There was a, a deep over route that he hit Drake London on that he had to lay it in a, a minuscule hole to get the, the football in for him to catch the football. On the, on the 15-yard curl route, he has to recurl flat. He has a flat route, and he has the underneath defender. He has to kind of kind of finagle to get through there. He reads it out perfectly, lets it go on time, and it's a big 15-yard completion. There was the 15-yard scramble, one of those you know, off-schedule plays you talk about. They run a similar concept, and you get a, a deep corner route by, by, by Pitts, and they're playing quarters, so you take that away. You get a flat route as a high-low combination, and they take that away. He, he actually is about to throw the flat route and pulls it back in and ends up taking off up the middle for a big 15, 17-yard scramble. Yep. That tells you he is seeing the field. It tells you he understands where guys are supposed to be, and he's just not forcing the issue. Now, there are times, now obviously, the, the, the pick to, to Tyron Matthew, he probably wants that throw back because you got to see the defender, see where he's going. But there's other instances in the game where he is seeing exactly what's going on in a ball game, and he is starting to learn just by playing. And I think the only way you do that is to be in the game. Yep. It's hard to do it in practice. It's hard to simulate it. It's hard to, okay, I'm going to put the ball in my right hand, I'm going to run through five, six guys, and they're going to chop at it. It's just different. You got to be in the ball game. We saw it when he got in the game a couple weeks ago before the bye week, and he runs his own read. And we talked about it. The ball wasn't in the right hand. It yeah. was in the left hand as he went into the end zone. Those are just small things that he has to kind of ingrain in his brain and say, "All right, when I have the football in my hand, I have to take care of it in a different way." And I think he's learning better to do that. So there, there are a lot of instances I think throughout a game that you look at and say, "Okay." Maybe that wasn't entirely on the quarterback. Um, I know Arch probably can speak to it better than me. He talks to Coach Smith, and, you know, there are a lot of nuances in a concept or a play that doesn't always say, okay, it's on the quarterback. There are a lot of other things that go in. Arch, what sticks out to you? Is there anything else as far as the turnovers that he can kind of reel in a little bit? Yeah, and it's going to be his decision-making on when to take a chance and when not. And it may sound simple, but if you're going to throw the ball over the middle in the red zone, which is where the interception comes. 
We run it to the 10. Get Bijan gets us a first down at the 10-yard line. We decide to throw it on that play. Bijan comes out and he's going to run a he's going to run a circle or a little uh, angle route right to mm-hmm. the inside. And um, geez, I got my phone. <laughs> people are trying to get in touch with I don't Arch know why. here. I can't can't keep people from calling me. Sorry. <laughs> Look for, um, looking for so Arch. okay, so Bijan's going to run an angle route. The spacing on the play was screwed up. Van Jefferson releases early. He comes across the field. Van needs to clear. That's on Dez. He's got to let Van clear. Because it was so quick and right behind Van, Bijan got a little discombobulated and felt like, oh, I'm too close to him. i got to slow down. So he slows down and idles down. Well, Dez is turning the ball loose because he's expecting to be in that angle route coming to the inside. He rushes the throw. He has time to let it uh, kind of – mature a little bit yep. uh janu's route is too tight so there's a bunch of things going on but anyway in the red zone because it's a compacted area there's too many guys close to the play if you overthrow something in the middle of the field in the red zone it's going to be picked off yep. especially in a zone situation the other interception van jefferson's not running he's got to run he's got a clearing route and des is trying to throw a back shoulder to him he's got scotty miller oh wide open on his curl route to the inside because it didn't really declare itself because van's not really running it allows tyron matthew to crane his head back to the inside and look yep. if he'd been running he can't run with van jefferson if van jefferson's hauling out of there tyron matthew's got to get his rear end out of there because he's going to get beat over the top right he's not looking back but because he's lollygagging a little bit and then the accuracy where the throw was, mm-hmm. he threw it too far to the inside. Yep. So all those things combined to the quarterback throwing a, throwing two interceptions. Now, where do you take your chances? Where do you not take your chances? His The only thing he can control is his accuracy to football and when he decides to turn it loose in what areas right. to put it in harm's way. So other guys are going to have to do their jobs too. That's what adds up to interceptions. Everybody sees it hung on the quarterback, yep. two interceptions. There's so many other things going on. Yeah, that's you know one of the things I learned early on in my career from Dan Reeves is that you might be third in progression, but there's a reason why you're third in progression. Mm-hmm. Your job is to get somebody else open, mm-hmm. and you have got to take the right releases. you got to get to the right depth. And to your point, if you got a clear-out route, you got to freaking go, and you got to get somebody's inside shoulder and get their shoulders turned, get their attention turned away from where the throw is going, and give a little credit to Tyron Matthew. Like, he's a savvy vet. Like, if you don't right. end up affecting him, he's going to go make a play and those are some of the things that end up happening all right so we talked about falcons now on top of the nfc south so we're going to talk about how do they remain in control of the nfc south and before i turn it guys over to you as far as what they need to do i'm going to give you my answer real quick and it's going to be the most simple the most coach speak answer that you can imagine because it was the same thing i said last week and it's the same thing that's going to be for this week and next week is to worry about the here and now. That's how you remain in control of the NFC South. The moment that you or anybody else starts looking at the schedule and saying which games are wins, that's when you lose. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, they have to go on the road to the New York Jets, and their job offensively is to win first down. That's it. Like, all you got to do is win the first down, and then you got to win the first drive, and then you win the first quarter. Like, this team, and this is no offense, because you could make this argument about any NFL team. Like they're not good enough to look three games down the road. And how do we end up going three and zero over the next three games to remain atop of our division? Mm-hmm. Most NFL players and coaches are going to tell you they're only worried about right now. What does Kirby Smart say after every post game interview? Mm. We're worried about next week. Right now, right we're now. worried about Georgia Tech. Humility I remember they asked him that one week away. He <laughs> says it every single. We're worried week. about yeah. the next opponent. Sure. So to you guys. 
Like, what else does Atlanta need to do to remain in control of the NFC South? I think it comes down to – I think it's pretty simple that what we talked about is you have to win inside your division and win at home. And I think without looking forward, and this is not for, like, the team to say, all right, let's look forward to winning our next home games, winning our next division games. To be successful in this league, those are the things you have to do. Win in your division, and you have to play well at home. Well, they did that this past weekend. You went at home and you went in the division. That's a step forward in the right process of where you're trying to go. But I think ultimately it just comes down to the the, the nuances of the game that we talk about every single week, not turning the football over, uh, doing the, the little things on both sides of the ball that gives you a chance to win, tackling in space, not giving up the big plays. I mean, those are – it sounds so cliche. It sounds so easy. But those are the things that win ball games for you. You didn't see a bunch of like procedural penalties. You don't see stuff that puts you behind the chains. You go on the road this weekend with the Jets. You have those kind of issues, and you look and say, "Oh, well, their offense is this, they're that." Those are recipes for you to have a bad day. And I think if you look back from a fan perspective, people looked at, "Okay, you're going to Tennessee with a, a rookie quarterback." You should go get a win. But yep. anyway, you still have to play the ball game. Yep. You came out and played well. You go to Arizona or you get Josh Dobbs coming here off of, you know, three, four days, and for whatever reason it doesn't work out. That's what I'm saying. You have to go play the game and play the game that, that the way you're supposed to, and I think that's ultimately how you go about it. Arch, it all sounds simple, but in the NFL, the execution is not simple. Yeah, staying, <laughs> staying in control of your destiny is what you're saying because they do have that in their in their minds is to not worry about the destiny. Yep. Got to worry about – you mentioned it, Shock said it in, a, in, in several words there about the Jets are all you can think about. You know, you can't think about, ooh, if we win in the division and, and, and we can talk about that. Right. And sure. Shock talks about, yeah, you right. got to win in division, you got to win at home. But that's not they, they. That's not even in their mind. They can't worry about that. This week was about beating New Orleans. Yes, it was a division game, and it was at home, so it was a double dip in that regard. Now it's the Jets because you lose to the Jets and the Saints win, you're back in the same spot you were again, <laughs> yep. and it's the same. So the, the the way you stay in control is to not worry about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is just think about the team that's in front of you right now and getting ready to play a Jet team that is scrambling. They're trying to get themselves kind of back right in the back end of the AFC, hoping that the other quarterback comes back. I don't know what they're thinking. I know this is a formidable defense, yep. what? and they've got some playmakers on the offensive side of the football. And last I checked, we just gave up 10 plays of 15 yards or more on defense in this game against the Saints. You can't do that to the Jets because yep. they're going to get some kind of rhythm. They've got Brees Hall. They've got Garrett Wilson. They've got a bunch of dudes that can go make plays, even though you're not seeing it happen doesn't mean they're not going to happen to you, just like the, the Will Levis scenario, right? For sure. All of a sudden, uh, the Boyle, the quarterback, all of a sudden this is his coming out right. party. Exactly. Right. Got to worry about what's going on right here. Who cares about the the division? All that stuff will take care of itself if you take care of what's right in front of you. Exactly. We'll f worry about the here and now. And that's, that's what we got drilled into our heads when we were playing and tuning out the outside noise. I understand that in broadcasting and talking about things on a podcast, that's our job to start looking ahead. But, like – you don't look ahead. Like, sure. You okay. don't look ahead. You hard. worry about the here and now, and things are hard enough in the National Football League. This is not college football where you get a guarantee game where a team is so much of a lesser opponent that you know you're going to win. No like, that doesn't happen. No. You can look at the schedule. I mean, we thought we were going to face Jaron Hall, and then the first quarter things got blown up, and you're like, oh, Josh Dobbs is coming, and we got this. Like yeah. see, He's see, been here four, four days. Wait a minute. Now, shock – 
at Georgia had games that they knew they were going to win. Probably 11 <laughs> out of 12. You at Minnesota, me at Iowa State, we uh, never had one of those games. Here, it was no the way. next Every, game in front of us. Single okay, one was no a challenge. Georgia, no Georgia is like 11 of the 12. <laughs> no, what are you, no, no. you going to just throw roller helmets Come out on, there? Come on, Like, like T. Martin that. comes into Georgia. <laughs> never it's like, did that. Yeah. Uh, never, never. Yeah. Never. It's always I know Minnesota now. didn't pay nobody a million and a half dollars to come in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's it. Falcons need to worry about the here and now, and they need to just continue to win each play. One, one, yes, one. By the way, we got to mention real quickly, Jake Matthews plays his 155th yes. consecutive game. And I don't there know if you're going to get that. I apologize for cutting you off no. there. But he's played in 156 of 157 games. He was my guest on the coach's show this week, and I asked him what happened. He missed the second game of his career. He got a little tweak of the ankle, couldn't go in week two of his rookie year in 2014. Wow. That's the only game he's missed. He's played 156 of 157 games, and he's played in 155 straight. Uh, his 10th season, got a brand-new youngster that he just welcomed in about a year ago. And, by the way, that was part of the streak. Right. As they flew him in <laughs> yeah. late to Carolina to keep that streak alive yeah. last year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, congratulations to Jake. That's a pretty cool one. Passes pretty cool Matt record. Ryan for the most yep. consecutive starts in franchise history, and he currently has the longest active streak in the National Football League. And, again, to think about the position, I mean – you could say that for anybody, but somebody that plays yeah. on a line of scrimmage with how physical it is and how much pushing and shoving that's going on up there, that shows a lot about conditioning, keeping himself in great shape, and then obviously the want to. And one last thing, our man Youngway Koo, leader in the NFL right now, active in field goal percentage at 90%, took over Justin Tucker because he missed a field goal. Uh -huh. <laughs> so he holds the lead right now. For Which is, so, if you know the career. history of um, – of the last Ooh. 10 or 15 yeah. years, if you're passing Justin Tucker, right, you're, you're doing big. some good you things. Because that, right. that dude has been special since he came into the league with the Ravens. All right, so that's going to wrap it up here for the Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. Thanks so much for joining us. Like I said, we come on here with energy after a win and a loss because we want to bring you our insight, our analysis, and what we see on the field and what we think moving forward. So moving forward, Atlanta Falcons looking to go on the road this week and get come back from the New York Jets with another victory to stay atop the NFC South. For uh, your DJ Shockley, you're That's Dave right. Archer. Right. I'm there. Sometimes you get going yeah. fast and like yeah, they, yeah. they can go together. It's I'm Derek Rackley. It's Falcons Audible yeah. presented by AT&T. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time Thanks. right here. Go, dogs. Roll, 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 roll. <laughs>